Thank you, Brother Rick and Kim. Matthew chapter 3, verse 1. Same passage of Scripture looked at this morning. It was my intention, of course, to walk through this and, of course, uh, deal with the uh, baptism of Jesus, which is the event that we look at, of course, in the children's Bible stories. However, there's quite a few grown-up lessons in this passage of Scripture, so we'll be taking care of this today and even next Sunday in the same passage of Scripture in Matthew chapter 3, beginning in verse 1. Would you stand as the Scripture's read, please? In those days, John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Judea and saying, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. For this is he who was spoken of by the prophet Isaiah, saying, The voice of one crying in the wilderness, Prepare the way of the Lord, make his path straight. Now John himself was clothed in camel's hair with a leather belt around his waist, and his food was locusts and wild honey. Then Jerusalem, all Judea, and all the region around the Jordan went out to him and were baptized by him in the Jordan, confessing their sins. But when he saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees coming to his baptism, he said to them, Brood of vipers, who has warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Therefore bear fruits worthy of repentance. And do not think to say to yourselves, We have Abraham as our father. For I say to you that God is able to raise up children to Abraham from these stones. And even now the axe is laid to the root of the trees. Therefore, every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. I indeed baptize you with water unto repentance. But he who is coming after me is mightier than I, whose sandals I am not worthy to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing fan is in his hand. He will thoroughly clean out his threshing floor and gather his wheat into the barn. He will burn up the chaff with unquenchable fire. Then Jesus came from Galilee to John at the Jordan to be baptized by him. John tried to prevent him, saying, I need to be baptized by you, and you're coming to me. But Jesus answered and said unto him, Permit it to be so now, for thus it is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. And he allowed it. When he had baptized Jesus, Jesus came up out of the water and behold, the heavens were opened to him, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and alighting upon him. And immediately a voice came from heaven saying, This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for this passage. We thank you for the treasures that we can glean from this passage of Scripture. Help us, Father, to hear each one of them. Help, them, help us to apply them to our lives and to see your truth for each of us. We thank you for your word. We thank you for our church and our time that we can come together. We ask that each and every time that it would fulfill the purpose for which you bring us here today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. John continues with God's message, which began with the instructions to repent. Now he speaks, of course, of repentance. Then he directs their attention to a thorough inspection that's coming. In verse 10, even now the axe is laid to the root of the trees. Therefore, every tree which does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Now, the Jewish people at that time would know what he was talking about because they were all familiar with the process. 
At the end of every growing season, the owner of a vineyard or an orchard would inspect the vines or the trees. He's been watching them through the whole season. And each plant would be evaluated on the fruit it produced, not the leaves. Unproductive plants were cut down and removed. He would inspect the tree, and based on his inspection, that would determine what he did with the tree. Jesus included this process in at least two of his parables. If you remember the barren fig tree in Luke chapter 13, where the man comes and says, I find no fruit on this tree, and I haven't found fruit on this tree for several years, and he tells his servant to cut it down. The servant obviously has a heart for this tree or sees that there's potential here. He says, don't cut it down this year. I'm going to dig around it. I'm going to fertilize it, and then we'll see what happens next year. And it's really interesting, Jesus leaves the end of the parable open that we don't know what happened. But you know, the parable wasn't about the tree, it was about us. And he leaves the open-ended parable in that we determine the ending of that parable in our own lives. Did the tree produce? Was the tree productive? Did the tree get cut down? We don't know. But he says the ending of this parable has to do with what we do with the message of God. And of course, he also mentioned it concerning the productive vine in John chapter 15, where he says, I'm the vine and you're the branches. He said, in every vine that produces fruit, he prunes that will produce more fruit. Now, it's, it's an unproductive tree that gets cut down. It's an unproductive vine that gets cut down. But even the productive vine, after an inspection, the grower of the vine determines some of this has to go. And he will inspect the tree and cut the unproductive parts out of it. In each instance, there's an honest and thorough evaluation by a person who knows what they're looking for, not the other trees and not a, an untrained individual. And what he's speaking of, of course, is our lives are being inspected. And he said this right after he said, you bring fruits that are worthy of repentance. In other words, you need to show some proof that you've truly repented. Even the rabbis point to Nineveh. You remember Nineveh. And Jonah went through Nineveh, preaching the judgment to come. And in Jonah chapter 3, verse 10, it says, When God saw their works, then he suspended the judgment. Now, before that, they had sat in sackcloth and ashes. Looked like they were repentant enough. It didn't say that God saw the ashes. God didn't see the sackcloth. Even the rabbis in Jesus' day pointed, and when they talked about repentance, they said they pointed and said, God didn't see the sackcloth and relent on the judgment. God saw the action. God saw what was going on in their lives. So God thoroughly inspects each of our lives, and each of our lives, of course, are evaluated based on whether repentance has actually taken place. Repentance is not being sorry for sin. Repentance, the actual word, is to turn around and go a different direction. 
And then he talks about the coming of someone better. Now, that's important because John the Baptist was a famous man at this time. They considered him a mighty prophet. And John pointed to somebody else that was coming much better than he was. Verse 11, I indeed baptize you with water under repentance, but he who is coming after me is mightier than I, whose sandals I'm not worthy to carry. You see, John wasn't here to create his own ministry. John wasn't here to create his own brand and his own name. We know that John was here to prepare the way of the Lord and to be the herald, if you would, talking about the coming of the king. It was all about Jesus. It was not about John. And John said, you think I'm something? One's coming after me. I'm not even worthy to unloose his sandal. I have to understand the Jewish culture that day. The lowest ranking slave in the house was the one who took the sandals off of the feet of the visitors and washed feet. You see that New King James says, carry his sandals. I believe the King James says, loose the sandals. Either way, you're handling someone's shoes. And that was reserved for the lowest of the slaves. And John said, I'm not even worthy to do that in his presence. Wow, I am less than the lowest slave compared to Jesus Christ. He's the one that's coming. And then he says this, and he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. John revealed the fulfillment of a promise from long ago. Three prophets specifically prophesied the coming of the Holy Spirit. Isaiah, Ezekiel, and Joel. Now, the Holy Spirit doctrine is often thought of as a New Testament doctrine. So we understand, if you've been in church any length of time, the doctrines concerning the Holy Spirit and were concerning the Holy Spirit, and that's great. However, we need to look at this passage of Scripture from the Jewish understanding of the Holy Spirit, not the Christian understanding of the Holy Spirit. You see, the Christians were... The, the Jews were very familiar with the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit did not just show up at Pentecost and everybody said, well, where did he come from? I've never seen this guy before. Absolutely not. You see, the Holy Spirit is present throughout of all of the Old Testament, beginning in Genesis chapter 1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, and the earth was void and without form, and the Spirit of God hovered over the water. King James says he brooded over the water. The Spirit of God hovered. He was present and active in creation. Now, the Spirit of God is also the same expression for which we get the Holy Spirit. Sometimes it's mentioned the Spirit of the Lord. Sometimes it's mentioned Spirit of God. Now, this word spirit is very interesting. It is from a Jewish word, a Hebrew word, ruach. And what that means is breath or breeze. So when we talk about the Spirit, it's always been breath or breeze. And then in the New Testament, the Greek, of course, translates to the same thing. It has to do with wind, breath, or breeze. So it's present and active at creation. And 
the spirit, the breath or breeze, actually is what gave life to man. You remember in Genesis chapter 2, verse 7, God created man from the dust of the earth and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. You see, the Hebrew people knew that that breath of God, that breath is the same word from which you get spirit. And God breathed life into humanity, spiritual life into humanity with the spirit. Of course, not only was the breath of life, it was the wind of power. Now, of course, we understand the Holy Spirit in the New Testament as being a rushing and mighty wind. The spirit was considered a wind of power long before that. In the book of Judges, the spirit is mentioned with several different guys. It's mentioned with the man of Othniel in Judges chapter 3, verse 9. and He judged Israel. And it says, The spirit of the Lord came upon Othniel, and he judged Israel, and he was mighty in battle because the spirit of the Lord gave him power. You all know about Gideon. Gideon uh, in uh, Judges chapter 6, verse 34, and the Spirit of the Lord came upon Gideon. Gideon also was mighty in battle. Gideon found his strength, and he was able to win victories because the Spirit of the Lord was upon him. And who can forget about Samson? Samson, of course, gained power, and every time he gained his mighty power, it was when the Spirit of the Lord came upon him. It wasn't Samson's strength, it wasn't Gideon's intelligence, it wasn't Othniel's wisdom that enabled them to do what they did. It was the spirit of the Lord, and they were very cognizant of the fact, they were knowledgeable of the fact, the Jewish people, that the spirit was the wind of power. In 1 Samuel chapter 16, it said, The spirit of the Lord came upon David. And these are just some examples, not all of them. So we realized the Holy Spirit was very familiar. So when John said, he'll come and baptize you with the Holy Spirit, they were familiar with that. They knew the work of the Spirit. They knew the person of the Spirit. But they also knew that although we, we should look at Othniel, we could look at David, we could look at, uh, of course, Samson and Gideon, they knew that the Spirit was promised to more than just a select few. The prophet Joel said this in chapter 2, verse 28, I will pour out my spirit upon all flesh. There's some promises that we look at. It's quite interesting when we look at the promises of the spirit, how they relate to this specific message from John the Baptist concerning repentance. Look in Isaiah chapter 44. Isaiah chapter 44. This is 700 years before God promised an outpouring of the Holy Spirit. John came on the scene 700 years later and said, oh, you remember what Isaiah was talking about? There's coming one after me who will usher in and baptize you with the Holy Spirit. Isaiah chapter 44 verse 1 Yet hear now, O Jacob, my servant, and Israel, whom I have chosen. 
Thus says the Lord who made you and formed you from the womb who will help you. Fear not, O Jacob, my servant, and you, Jeshurun, whom I have chosen. I will pour water on him who is thirsty and floods on the dry ground. I will pour my spirit on your descendants and my blessing on your offspring. They will spring up among the grass like willows by the water courses. The spirit, of course we see it as wind, but he's saying the spirit, when it's poured upon their descendants, would be like water in a drought. Water when we're all dried up. Water when it seems like we just can't go on. Water when it seems like all spark of life may be gone. He said, that's what my spirit would do. It'll be like water to a thirsty soul. Turn to Ezekiel chapter 36, verse 22. Ezekiel chapter 36, verse 22. Therefore say to the house of Israel, Thus says the Lord, I do not do this for your sake, O house of Israel, but for my holy name's sake, which you have profaned among the nations wherever you went. And I will sanctify my great name, which has been profaned among the nations, which you have profaned in their midst. And the nations will know that I am the Lord, says the Lord God. When I am hallowed, I am hallowed in you before their eyes. I will take you from among the nations, gather you out of the countries, and bring you into your own land. I will sprinkle clean water on you, and you shall be clean. I will cleanse you from all your filthiness and from all your idols. I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit within you. I will take the heart of stone out of your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes, and you will keep my judgments and do them. He's talking about the nation of Israel, the nation of Israel that had gone astray, who'd profaned their name. And he says, and I'll restore that relationship. I'll put my spirit in you. And what he's talking about is a restored relationship because they had been out of fellowship with him. They'd been out of step. They had no relationship with him. And he's talking about the spirit comes in when that relationship has been restored. Look in chapter 39, verse 25. Chapter 39, verse 25. Therefore, thus says the Lord God, now I will bring back the captives of Jacob. I will have mercy on the whole house of Israel. I will be jealous for my holy name. After they have borne their shame and all their unfaithfulness in which they were unfaithful to me, when they dwelt safely in their own land, and no one made them afraid, when I have brought them back from the peoples and gathered them out of their enemies' lands, I have hallowed in them in the sight of many nations. They shall know that I am the Lord their God, who sent them into captivity among the nations, but also brought them back to their land, and left none of them captive any longer. I will not hide my face from them anymore, for I shall have poured out my spirit on the house of Israel, says the Lord God. See, what's this have to do? with the message of John the Baptist, when repentance is genuine, 
relationship is restored and God pours his spirit on his people. They understood that doctrine of the Holy Spirit. And they knew when he was talking about repentance and he was talking about being baptized with the Spirit, they knew exactly what he was talking about. And it all had to do with a repentant heart and coming back with trust in God. Then he says this, He'll baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. What's this all about? Well, we continue with pretty much the same thought as we started with the trees and the evaluation. Fire, of course, is used for warmth, vital for survival. Fire is used for illumination, not specifically vital for survival, but it makes survival a lot more enjoyable when you have some light. And, of course, fire was used for illumination. They knew that. But also, fire was used for purification. And there's the application. You remember in the book of 1 Peter when it talks about the fiery furnace of trials and gold and silver that's refined and the fire brings out all of the unwanted material and purifies that? That's easy to understand, but there was something they could understand even easier than that because how many of your normal Jews work with uh, precious metal? Very few of them. Very few of us do. But look at the application and the illustration that he says in verse 12. His winnowing fan into his hand, he will thoroughly clean out his threshing floor and gather his wheat into the barn. He will burn up the chaff with unquenchable fire. Now, Every Jew pretty well knew about that because everybody had to thresh pretty much their own grain. Uh, every now and then you could buy it and so forth. But just about every Jew pretty well knew how it was to thresh grain. What he would do is he'd get a threshing floor. And this is, of course, the picture of Jesus. He said his hand, this fan is in his hand, and he has got him a threshing floor. And what you would do is you would take the grains, the stalks of grain, and you would trample it either underfoot or have an ox drag a big, heavy something on it and break it all up and break the husk off of it. Then you would get a fork, and you would throw it all up in the air, and the wind would blow it away. Do you catch that? The wind would blow it away. What is the word for spirit? A breeze. The wind would blow away all that that was useless. And then all that that was useless, he would burn that and get rid of it. And what he would have left is the best. And you see, the lesson is this. Jesus Christ came to baptize with the Holy Spirit to restore that relationship and to bring out the best in us and get rid of all the clutter. All the clutter that clutters up our hearts. All the clutter that gets between us and God. All the clutter that gets us out of fellowship with God. He baptizes with the Spirit, pours new life into us, and says, let me clean that up. And with the fire, he clears it up. Just like a farmer would thresh the grain and have the best and clear out the trash. And I would say every single one of us needs that to some degree in our life. Sometimes more than others, but God can and will do that. 
You'll be baptized with the Holy Spirit and with fire. Anything before we close? Let's stand and be dismissed with a word of prayer.